scripture that we read in Ephesians, especially when the Bible tells us that he is God. There are some times we go through situations in our life where it doesn't feel like God is being visible. We can always rest in that absolute confidence of God's word that what he does is always good. What he allows, he always works it for to those who love him are called according to his purpose. Praise be to God. I was a teenager the first time that I know absolutely that my life was completely yielded to the Lord and that I was consciously filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit of God. I told you about that a couple weeks ago. And I remember exactly where I was when that awareness came upon me and I just had this overwhelming joy, just this surge of, of love for Jesus and this boldness and this desire to tell as many people as I possibly could about Jesus. And I was so excited about the Lord. It's like the Bible just, like my eyes were opened and it became just this book that was just, God was speaking to me. It was just an amazing experience. And I can remember that during that first days of that experience, that any time the enemy, the devil, would try to tempt me to sin, I was so excited about Jesus, I wasn't even interested in in anything he had to offer. It's like temptation had just lost its power over me. And that lasted for about three days. But I made a mistake. I made the mistake of thinking that now because temptation had begun to sort of pull and tug and had an allurement, that I made the mistake of thinking, well, I must not be filled with the Spirit anymore. I must have done something that has grieved God, and I've lost that power. I've lost that supernatural in filling the Lord. And so I would pray again, and I'd say, oh, God, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I would wait for that surge of boldness, that feelings of joy and power, and that sense of that where temptation had lost its power again and and the allurement and when that didn't happen then I I thought something was wrong with me and I made the mistake for many years of thinking that victorious Christian life the overcoming life the abundant life spirit filled life whatever you want to call it I made the mistake of thinking that a characteristic of that kind of life, if you were living that kind of life, the characteristic was that you would not be tempted. You wouldn't feel the temptation. But that is not at all what the Bible teaches. As we've been looking at over the last several weeks, our Lord Jesus Christ himself, full of the Holy Spirit without measure, led by the Spirit of God out into the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, we find there that Jesus was tempted by the devil. And I don't mean to imply by that 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 temptation somehow had an allurement to him. The amazing thing about Jesus, there was nothing in him. It would be like holding a magnet to something that is not able to be magnetized. It just doesn't have any pull on it. 
Now, you and I have something in us called an old nature that when temptation's out there, it pulls on us. When the Lord Jesus, who had no old nature, but when Jesus was tempted, Satan was tempting him, but there was nothing in him that was attracted to sin. Does that make sense? But the Bible tells us that in those moments, though he was filled and empowered and anointed with the Holy Spirit of God, the devil was still tempting him. And he overcame those temptations. And he did it the same way that you and I can do it. The victorious Christian life is not a temptation-free life. It is a life that lives victoriously over temptation. The very implication of the word victorious means there's a battle, right? And so if you're a child of God, you go through a battle. We all do. And the abundant life is not a temptation-free life. It is a life that consistently overcomes the enemy, a life that resists the enemy, and he flees away and defeats. So that's why over the last several weeks we've been talking in this series called The Truth About Temptation. Now, I know some of you are here today, and you haven't been able to be here the last couple of weeks. We can all, you can always go to our church website at yourfavoritechurch.com. Right up at the top, there's several little uh, words or links up there, little, little places you can click. One of them says media. You can click that, and it drops down, and you can watch any and all the messages that we do. So you can always catch up, or you can go back and you can review something. If, if in a message you don't remember something that was said or you didn't quite understand it or whatever, you can always go back and watch it. So those of you at home today or those watching online, you can always do that as well. But today I want to talk to you about a victorious life, a life overcoming this battle, this spiritual war, because temptation is a spiritual attack on your life by the enemy. When you are being tempted, you are in spiritual warfare. And the Bible tells us that we have been given the weapons whereby we can resist and the enemy will flee and defeat. So in James chapter 4, verse 7, a verse that probably many of you have memorized, James chapter 4, verse 7, says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist. That word resist is a word that means take your stand. It means to stand against. It means to fight against. It means to oppose. It means to resist. This is not some passive thing where you're just trying to hold on, but rather it is actively resisting him or fighting back against him. Too often times when we are tempted, we, we sort of feel like a punching bag. Like, you know, we're trying to do what God wants us to do, and all of a sudden, man, the enemy is just, you know, just beating us up. And he's just tempting us and tempting us, and we're just trying to hold on. Well, the Bible says, no, I want you to resist. This is a spiritual war, and when you are attacked, he says, I want you to counterattack. 
I want you to resist. I want you to fight back. And when you do, the enemy will flee. That's a pretty amazing promise. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But what we have to learn is that when we resist him, we don't do so relying on our own willpower, but upon God's power. Now, you know the drill. You know what it's like. You begin to feel a sense of temptation. You begin to be pulled and, and, and have this drawing towards something that you know God doesn't want you to do. And so, at first you go, man, I, Lord, I, I don't want to give in to that temptation. So you start trying to resist the devil in your own strength. You start trying to hold on with just your willpower. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to do it. You may even try to distract yourself from it. You might try to change your thoughts. Or you might try to busy yourself with something else so that you can get away from this temptation. But you do not consistently overcome the enemy by willpower. Because ultimately, you, you're a walking demonstration of this truth. When you, with willpower, try to overcome, you may resist for a little while, but what happens? You eventually give in, and you eventually give up, and you turn away. Paul prays for what we're praying. We're not to resist relying on our own strength. This is not willpower. This is not distraction. It's not something else, some other method, but rather we are to rely upon God's power and God's weapons. So the devil doesn't flee from you and me because somehow we just decide, I am not going to sin, and if I can just double down and hang on long enough, he'll flee. That's not what the Bible says. Now the Bible in James 4, 7, when it says resist, that is a command. You and I are commanded to fight back against Satan. Many years ago, when I first began to learn something about fighting back against the devil, I got to tell you, I felt kind of weird. I felt like somehow that with intentionality, if I somehow focused for a moment on the enemy, on Satan, and I somehow spoke out to him, or I somehow addressed it directly, I almost felt like, am I doing something wrong? Am I somehow doing something that I'm forbidden to do? And am I opening myself up to something that, that might be disastrous? So I want to remind you in this passage, we are commanded by God to actively fight him, resist him, counterattack him. But we don't do it in our own strength. We don't do it in our own willpower. We do it in God's power and with God's authority and with God's weapons. Now, how do we do that? Well, James 4, 7 it commands us to resist, but before it commands us to resist, it gives us another command. So 
the first command in that verse is submit yourselves to God. The word submit means to, if, when used in a military context, means to line up under authority. It means to subordinate yourself to a commanding officer. It means to make yourself available so that you will do whatever your commander tells you to do. So the Bible says that you're getting ready to counterattack. You're getting ready in this spiritual war that you're in where you're being attacked by the enemy. You're going to counterattack, but you're going to do it, first of all, by aligning your life completely under the control and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. A surrendered, yielded life. Now, you have no power over the enemy, and you have no personal authority over the enemy. You have what the Bible calls is a delegated authority. When you are under the authority of Jesus Christ, then you can exercise the authority that Jesus has delegated to you to fight the enemy. But if you are not yielded, I mean 100% as far as you know, yielded to Jesus Christ, then you have no weapons, you have no power to victoriously stand against the enemy. It was, it was never God's plan that someone would give their life to Jesus Christ, truly become a child of God, and then spend the rest of their life somehow 50% committed to him and 50% going doing what they want to do. It was never God's will or Jesus' plan that you and I would be 80% committed but we'd hold back 20% of our life for ourselves. He didn't plan for us to be 98% committed, for us to have this little area of our life we hold on to ourselves. As long as we are doing that, we are not under his authority. If there's an area of your life, if there's an area that you know of right now where you know that Jesus wants you to do something or not do something, but you are not yielded in that, then you're not submitted. Step number one to overcoming the enemy is submitting yourself to God. It starts with, Lord, I am yours. All of me. Everything that I am, everything that I have, my future, it's all whatever you want. Submit to God. Now, the Apostle Paul, that was James telling us to do that through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit says the same thing to you and I through the Apostle Paul. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6, but he says it differently. He sort of states it in a different place. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, same concept. The Holy Spirit says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. See that word stand? It's the same identical word translated resist in James 4, 7. So put on the full armor of God so that you can resist, stand against, counterattack, fight back the devil's schemes. For our struggle, can you see that there, there's a war going on here? Our struggle is not against people, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against
against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against, you see all those against in there? Against, 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 against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms or in the spiritual dimensions all around you. Therefore, because you're in this war, in this battle against these forces of darkness and you are against them and you are to resist or stand, counterattack, therefore put on, command, the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand, resist, same word, your ground. And after you have done everything to resist, to counterattack, to stand. Stand, same word, resist then, command, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So James says when you're getting ready to stand and resist, you submit yourself to God. The Holy Spirit through Paul says the same thing differently. In verse 10 we read when he said, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That command in that verse is actually in the passive tense. So you could correctly translate it something like, let God make you strong in him and in his mighty power. So when we submit to God, that enables God to empower us, to make us strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, we're not going to resist the devil by our willpower. We're not going to resist the devil by our own power. We're going to resist the devil, take our stand by God's mighty power. And that happens when you and I yield ourselves completely to Jesus Christ. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand. So resisting, counterattacking, so that our enemy flees, that happens when we submit to God. And in doing that, we're made strong in his mighty power. And then we are to put on the armor of God so that we can resist. So this armor listed in Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, this armor is somehow a very important part of the resistance. So we're to put on the armor of God. What in the world does that mean? Well, it's really an illustration that the Holy Spirit uses Paul to say to us. So it's an illustration. So don't get hung up on all the details of the illustration. The Apostle Paul is a prisoner when he's writing to the book of Ephesians. He's chained to a Roman soldier day and night. The Roman soldier was the greatest 
fighting force in the world at that time. It was the most advanced military weapon of that day was the Roman soldier and his equipment. Shoes he had, one of the reasons that the Roman soldier, Rome was so uh, such an amazing, uh, powerful, conquering army is because their shoes were fitted. They had sandals that were fitted with like cleats. They didn't call them cleats. They were like they were nails. And so the Roman soldiers had incredible footing in the middle of a battle that their enemies did not have. They had a unique sword that was different than anybody else's. Their shields and their training and all these things, they were a fighting machine. So as Paul is writing, he's sitting there chained to super soldiers. He's chained to the, the greatest fighting machine in the world at that time, and he's thinking about an illustration. And he's thinking, how can I use this that his readers of that day would certainly relate to this? So he begins to take spiritual truths, and he uses the illustration of an army. So he tells us that, first of all, put on the armor of God. Then he says, taking up the belt of truth. So he says, put on the armor of God, and that's a command. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God, having girded your loins or put on the belt of truth. I hope this doesn't sound too tedious, but what, what I want you to get here is the command in that verse is put on the Lord Jesus so that you can resist. And you do that having, and now we have a series of participles which are descriptive ways that you obey that command. Having put on truth, having put on the breastplate, having done, and so this, all this armor is just ways that you're obeying the command. So put on the whole armor of God. So that's a whole other series in itself, What that, but very briefly it just means this. That in this spiritual battle with the enemy, that we put on truth. We, we put on the whole armor of God. And what does that mean? How do you put on the armor of God? Well, if, if we were in the middle of the summer, and we were getting ready to go out by the splash pad out here, and we were going to stand out there and have a fellowship, we were going to be out in the, the, the blistering sun for a couple of hours, we might be standing out here at the door, and we might be handing out suntan lotion. And as we hand out suntan lotion, we would say, put this on. Put it on. What would we mean by that? We would mean apply it, right? We would mean take it and put it on. And apply the lotion. So here are some truths that God says you need to apply this intentionally to your life. And as you apply it, it is putting on the armor. So you apply the belt of truth by consciously, willfully, intentionally bringing to your mind the fact that you fight this spiritual battle with truth. And Jesus said, thy word, O God, is truth. So the word of God is truth. So when I put on the armor of God, 
I do it in, 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 by praying these truths. You don't have to do it that way. The Bible doesn't exactly tell us how to do that. But what it means is bring it to your thoughts intentionally. So you may just be making declarations of faith. But it is intentionally bringing it to your mind and saying something like, Lord God, I believe that your word is true. And I say this. I say, Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word, oh God, is true. And I can trust your word more than I can trust my feelings. I trust your word more than I trust my circumstances. I trust your word more than I trust even what other people might say to me, what things look like. Your word, O oh God, is true. So I'm setting my mind on the fact that I'm going to live by the principles of the truths of God's word, not by my circumstances, emotions, feelings, mood, whatever it might be. Your word, O oh God, is true. Then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus is what this is talking about. Now, you and I do not, this is not me trying to live good enough that I'm righteous because none of it's in me. This is the righteousness of Jesus that's been given to you as a gift by the grace of God through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you place your faith in Jesus and ask him to save you and you become a child of God, God takes the very righteousness of Jesus and the Bible says he puts it on you. He imputes it to your account so that God, in God's eyes, you, every child of God, you are righteous in the sight of God. You are right with God, completely accepted by Him, acceptable, blessable, usable, completely accepted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, since our enemy uses lies, truth is a very important weapon. Since our enemy uses shame and guilt and feelings of, of unworthiness and all that to beat us down, this awareness that I am righteous in the sight of God is absolutely key to spiritual victory. I have been made right with God through Jesus Christ, so I declare this. I do it by thanking God. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for what he did for me. Thank you that I am right now right in your eyes, right with you, righteousness in your sight. Then the Bible says that your shoes... Put your feet, fit your feet with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. I think the emphasis here is on peace. Since we're talking about truth and righteousness, peace, it seems to me, is the, is the consistent interpretation of this. Well, the Bible says, having therefore been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That means we're no longer enemies. We're no longer in hostility with each other. There's no enmity between us and God, no hostility between us and God. So I go, thank you, God, for your truth. I'm going to trust your word today. Thank you for the righteousness that I am right with you right now, completely acceptable in your sight, not guilty, justified because of Jesus. And I think that you and I are in total peace right now. There's no hostility between us. You're not angry at me. You're not mad at me. I'm not at war with you. We are at peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then the scripture says we'll put on the helmet of salvation. Well, what does that mean? Well, I think it means, I think Paul in another place, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 8, 
he refers to put on hope as a helmet of salvation. I believe that we have truth, righteousness, peace, and the hope of salvation is our helmet. So what does that mean? Hope of salvation. Hope in the Bible doesn't mean uncertainty. Hope means something in the future that I'm so sure of, it creates expectation now in the present. So the hope of my future salvation, what is that referring to? It's referring to the day is going to come when God's salvation that he began in me is completed. And my body, which still has that old flesh and that old sin, one day even my body will be resurrected. I'll be redeemed. And that old nature will be laid down. And I will be glorified. And I, the glory of God will be revealed in me and through me. And I will no longer fall short of the glory of God. I will be filled and radiate the glory of God. There's coming a day when I'm not going to sin anymore. There's coming a day when I won't be tempted anymore. That is the hope of confident assurance. So in the middle of this battle, when the enemy keeps telling you how, man, you're so, you're so you know, evil, you're so weak, you're so pitiful, you're so unworthy, God's so sick of you. No, you know what? God already sees the day that you're going to be confronted. God already looks out there, and he already sees for all eternity. This, this moment of time right now when you're struggling in this spiritual war, it's just a small little blip on the radar screen of eternity. On the timeline of God's eternity, from eternity past, he looked forward and saw what he was going to do for you in Jesus. How he was going to choose you, he was going to save you, declare you righteous, and he already sees how for all eternity you are literally radiating the glory of God. Not shining, not, not falling short of the glory of God, but being the very embodiment of the glory of God revealed in you. God already sees that. He says, you're glorified already in my sight. And this little blip right now on the radar screen is where we are. And God is not in heaven today looking at you going, I cannot believe what is wrong with you. God already knows. You win. You are going to make it if you know Jesus. You are one day going to be sinless. You are one day going to have constant, total victory. So put it on. Start every day by going, God, that is my future. And as I start this day, I start with the knowledge that your word is truth today, not what I feel, not what I see. I am right with you because of Jesus Christ in spite of what the enemy will tell me. I have peace with you, though he wants to make me feel like you're mad at me. And though he tells me that I'm nothing and I will never get it right, your word says I'm going to one day be revealed to the glory of God. So put that on. Start your, start your day with those truths brought to mind. Then he says take up the shield of faith with which you can quench and extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked. So by faith, whenever the enemy says you can't do it, you are reminded that the word of God says I can do all through Christ who strengthens me. What am I going to believe? What God says or what the enemy says? 
and it tells me I'm unworthy. I distinguish that with faith. It tells me in his word that he has accepted me from his hand. He's taken my guilt upon himself. Then he gives us another command. All of these pieces of the armor are participles describing putting on the armor that enables me to resist. Then he gives us another command, and he says, take up <clears throat> the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the other armor we've just put on is all defensive, right? It's protecting me from his attack. But the sword, that's an offensive weapon. So when we're told to resist, that means it is with this sword with which I'm going to counterattack. Does that make sense? So this sword, he tells us what it is. He says the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. So we put on the armor so we can resist. We take up the sword with which we resist, fight back, counterattack, take our stand. So how do you do that with the Word of God? What does that mean? Well, the last several weeks, we saw the illustration of that in the Lord Jesus himself was tempted, right? The devil comes along. He's out there in the wilderness, been out there for 40 days and nights with nothing to eat. He's hungry. The enemy, Satan, comes along and says, you're the son of God. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus responds with a Bible verse that is applicable to that particular temptation. Jesus responds, and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Man lives by the word of God. So Jesus quoted scripture to Satan. Temptation number two. Satan himself quotes a Bible verse out of Psalm 91 in order to try to get Jesus to jump off the temple. Jesus responds, it is also written, Satan, don't put the Lord your God to the fetish test. The third temptation takes him to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, says I will give you the authority over all these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus the third time quotes a scripture. This time he says it. Go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God. Him only shall you serve. Now this is an important illustration here. Jesus, by his own authority and power, could have obliterated he could have just went and blew it into the next galaxy. But he didn't do that. He fought him in the same way he tells us to fight him. He models for you and me what we're supposed to do when we are under a spiritual attack. Quote, the word of God. In Ephesians 6, 17, when it says, 
taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The term word there is the Greek word rhema. You probably have heard of the word logos. That's a Greek word that is interpreted word. Well, there's another Greek word that is interpreted word. That's rhema. Very simply, I don't even understand all the differences, but very simply, one of the differences I do understand is that logos tends to, for our benefit, refer to the entire Bible, to the entire body of Scripture. But rhema refers to a specific verse of Scripture, a specific truth. And the sword of the Spirit is a specific verse that is applicable to the temptation that Satan is using against you. The word rhema also means something else very important. It is a spoken word. It is a word that is said out loud, consistently interpreted that way in the Bible. So the rhema, when you take up the sword of the Spirit, you're taking a verse of Scripture that is applicable to the temptation Satan is using against you. He is attacking you. You're going to counterattack him by taking up a verse of the Scriptures that are applicable to that temptation, and you're going to say it out loud. The first time I did that, Satan? Is that weird? To do that. But we're told to do that. We're told to resist him. Peter says the same thing in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. He says, he says, your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion going around seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. and blood, all these demonic forces, we resist them by what? Submitting to God, my life's completely in your hands, intentionally putting on the truth of God's word that he calls the armor, putting that on, and then taking up specific verses of scripture that we will say out loud in an authoritative command against the enemy when he is attacking you. In the book of Jude, the little letter of Jude, it's just one chapter long. I believe it's in verse 9. We have what seems like a really interesting vague verse there, but it says, even Michael, the archangel, when he was in a dispute with Satan, a war with Satan, over the body of Moses, it says Satan, uh, Michael did not make fun of Satan. He didn't belittle Satan. He didn't rebuke him in his own authority. Michael, the archangel, just simply said, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, Michael was saying, Satan, I'm here on a mission sent by God with the authority of God to get this body. So by his authority, by his command, 
as his representatives, the Lord rebuked. It's as though the Lord Jesus himself were there saying, go away, Satan. Because Michael was representing him and therefore using his authority to rebuke or resist the enemy. You and I have been given the very authority and use of the name of Jesus. So when you are attacked, you counterattack and aggressively counterattack him by out loud quoting to him the word of God and you do it by the authority and in the authority of Jesus Christ. First time that this ever happened to me, I've told you the story, I've told you all my stories, we haven't decided yet. First time this ever happened to me, I was about eight years, 18 years old, and um, I had um, I had <laughs> gone to a revival, and um, and this evangelist had um, had preached about uh, demons and UFOs and a whole bunch of other spectacular stuff, and he started giving all of these examples out of his life where Satan had appeared to him. Now looking back on it, I don't know. He may have been crazy. I don't know. So I'm not validating what he said. But I'm 18 years old. It scared me to death. I went home that night after the revival, and I was terrified that Satan was himself going to appear to me. And I went out. I remember my dad had an office out in on the opposite side of the main part of the house. And I went out there, and I mean, I went in that room, and I'm telling you, it seemed like the presence of evil was so heavy in that room, it felt like the lights were dim. I was, my heart was beating. I just knew any second some demonic spirit is going to manifest, and I am going to be freaked out. And I was terrified. And I started reading my Bible, and I read my Bible, read my Bible, read my Bible, nothing, nothing came. I started praying, oh God, please God, help me with this, oh God, please make make this go away. And I'm praying, 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 nothing came. This went on for over an hour. I was so scared, I literally got down on the floor, sat down on the floor, put my back in the corner of the room so at least if the demons manifested, they couldn't do it behind me. Finally, I had been reading this book that had, for the first time in my life, I had heard what I've just told you today. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And this book would tell you how to speak out loud the word of God and, co- and command against the enemy, and he would flee. And I, I felt weird about that. But finally, when nothing else had worked, I finally out loud said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I command you, leave me alone. For the Bible says, and I quoted the verse, I don't remember which one it was, probably this verse, James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. I'm, I'm not sure what verse I used. But when I said, in the name of Jesus,
Jesus be gone for the Bible says, and I quoted it, it was like, it was gone. And I remember thinking, well, that's strange. I probably just psyched myself out. I probably just, you know, got emotional, and that's probably all this was. Until a few months later, being a curious teenager, I decided to listen to that message. We got a cassette tape of that message. I decided to listen to it again. I don't know why, but I did. And it had the same effect. It absolutely changed me. I did the same thing again. I'm out there in the office late at night thinking Satan's going to appear to me. I'm terrified. I'm reading. I'm praying. I'm doing everything I know to do. Nothing worked until finally Satan in the name of Jesus be gone for the Bible says, and I quoted a verse to him, Now, I've learned to do that, and it works. And I've taught my children to do it when they were little bitty, four years old, five years old. Because we don't resist him in our strength. We don't rely upon our own willpower to overcome temptation. We do it with the authority, with the weapons of God. And so, therefore, when you are under spiritual attack. That's what temptation is. You don't rely on your willpower. You don't rely on trying to white knuckle and hang on and I'm not and try not to do it. But you counterattack by resisting him in the name of Jesus out loud when you quote a verse of scripture that applies to particular situations. Now some of you, some of us, we've only got couple verses memorized. And so if the only verse you know is Jesus wept, then when you're under attack, you don't have many, many weapons to fight with. So my encouragement to you would be, you all have an area in your life, one or two areas in your life, where the enemy really specifically likes to beat you up. Maybe you got a bad temper. He's always coming along and just irritating you and prodding you to use clubs. Well, then maybe you need to memorize a verse that has to do with anger. There's a bunch of them in the Bible. The one that God has used in my life, James chapter 1, says the wrath of man does not work the, the righteousness of God. It doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. So if the devil's trying to attack you and make you mad, you resist him. Satan be gone in the name of Jesus, for the wrath of man does not work to accomplish the purpose. Maybe you find yourself struggling with gossip. You have a hard time keeping your tongue under control. There's a bunch of verses in the Bible about the tongue. Memorize one of them. Let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only those things that are beneficial to building other people up. Maybe you struggle with lust. Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery in his heart. Keep going on. What is your struggle? Whatever your struggle is, intentionally memorize some verses. You go, well, how do I find those verses? Google it. It's really simple. Just Google. What does the Bible say about jealousy? What does the Bible say about greed? What does the Bible say about gluttony? 
go back. Just Google it, and I promise you it will pull up more verses than you can possibly remember. Arm yourself. Because God commands you and me to resist, counterattack. We do that not in our strength, but in his strength. By submitting to him, intentionally putting on the armor, Memorize it, those verses, when he attacks, we let him have it. And in the name of Jesus, out loud, speak to him, and he will fight for us. Flee. That word flee means to run for safety. That's what it means. The devil and the demons will run for safety. Why do they feel they need to run because they don't feel safe. Because you are a child of God, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, an armed soldier of the cross with the weapons of God and the authority of Jesus Christ, and you are counterattacking him, and he is in danger, and he Submit to God. So is your life submitted to God? Is there any area of your life you're withholding, you're unwilling to let Jesus Christ be the Lord of that area of your life? There is no authority you're not under. Take just a moment. You're at home. You're listening on your phone, watching on your computer, listening to a podcast. You're here this morning. Ask the Holy Spirit right now, is there anything in my life not submitted to him? Because he is. accepted by God because you've never relied upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. We've all sinned. The Bible tells us that. And our sin separates us from God. But it permanently separates us from God. And it may seem strange to you, but the Bible says just one act of rebellion and sin against God separate you from God forever. And there's nothing that you and I can do in our own strength to remove that barrier of separation. But God sent Jesus. And Jesus is like a bridge that spans that separation between you and God. And he built that bridge again from the dead, 
feel like God was shining this light on this incredible announcement that the bridge is now open. The way to God is now open, but it's only through Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father unless he comes by me. He is the only way for you and I to have a relationship with God, but it is a free gift, and it's available to you, and God wants you to have it, and he offers it to you right now today. There is a verse in the Bible that says, today is the day of salvation. If you hear God's voice, do not forsake it. If you hear him right now, if you just sense the Lord speaking to you, calling you, saying, I want you to give your life to Jesus. If that's you, respond and submit to him right now. Give your life to Jesus. Would you do that by praying a prayer of something like this? Pray, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. My sin has separated me from God. But I believe, Lord Jesus, you are the Savior. You are the way to God. Give myself to you. I ask you to save me from my sins. Give me a relationship with God, eternal life, a home in heaven. From this day forward, I will be a follower of Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. says that everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you call today just then? Good. He said if you did and you meant it, he just gave your life to Jesus. And I just want to say welcome to the family of God. You've just started a brand new life. There's so many wonderful things that God just did for you that you don't even know about yet. But that's why you need church. Church is family to know God and the Lord Jesus better. So if you've just prayed that prayer with me, then I want to ask you to take the gray card that's in the seat back in front of you, fill that out, and when the service is over, I'm going to be standing right up here, and I'd like to ask you to invite you. I'd love to meet you. Promise how much time. We won't take much time, but I'd love for you to just come bring me the card. I'd love to just get a name, a face, get to talk to me. If you don't have time for that, I'm going to still do that. Drop the card in the offering box and we'll make a way out. If you'd like to join our church, likewise, you can just take that gray card, check on there, that I'd like to join our church. But I'd love for you to just bring it to me or put it in the box and we'll make a way out. If you're our guest here today, thank you so very much for coming. If you're our guest watching online right now, we're so delighted that you have joined with us today as well. I hope all of you have been blessed. I hope you've had something from this message that you can use starting in the morning. Starting today, starting now, to put it into practice and to watch God bring about his purposes in your life. If you're our guest today, if you wouldn't mind taking the blue card that's in the seat back, filling it out, and just dropping it in the offering box, we'll make a way out. Well, all of us have the opportunity to give our offerings to the Lord as we make a way out. Don't forget to put your offerings in the box as we leave.
extended be, and I want to introduce you to someone. God has blessed our church with someone. His name is Lester Muncy. Lester's right over here. Lester's coming today to say, I want to be a part of Brookhaven Church. Welcome, brother. We're so delighted to have you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the victory that is ours in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for the authority you've delegated to us. We are under your authority for the power of the supernatural living, powerful word of God to penetrate at our disposal. I ask, oh God, that you use this message today and apply it to every life here, everybody watching. Apply it in the way that they need to put it into practice in their lives. In Jesus' name, you are dismissed. God bless you.